there may be a dystopian future in which you are the only person left on Earth because you developed a personality. Everyone else left, and they're getting fat on a spaceship. It just happens to be a corporation. Whether you're that person left on Earth or whether you're the person on the spaceship, either way, you're fucked. So you might as well stick around for this week's episode of The Warrior Poet. So I confess it's been ages since I saw the movie Wally. I found myself looking at Rotten Tomatoes this week, trying to find the one review who <laughs> would confirm my bias, or maybe I screwed up that metaphor or phrase, confirmation bias. Either way, I was seeking confirmation of my view that Wally is a drastically overrated movie. I guess I should say was because people aren't probably watching Wally every day now. Although I did see plenty of Rotten Tomatoes reviews from just a few days ago. People are still watching it and giving it critical and audience acclaim every single day. I had a person I work with the other day tell me how wrong I was about Wally being way overrated. I think it's a number of things. I the visual effects were great. The dystopian society in the future is great. The comic relief of the space station, wherever they are, uh, the cast is really good in that. Lots of good voice actors. And actually, one of the things that's interesting about the movie is that you have real actors on screen, live action, appearing sometimes next to their characters that they're voicing. That's one of the many ways in which Pixar pushed the envelope with that movie. And I think it's all of those pushings of the envelopes that really impressed critics who were looking for something else outside the usual Hollywood formulas. I wonder when or if we'll ever go back to a time where you'd get major animated movies with no-name actors and actresses. For some reason, I have this romantic view of the past with Disney movies in the pre-Frozen era where no one knew who those actors and actresses were, those voices. You might recognize it. Maybe maybe your, uh, your dad or your, your grandma would piece something together and figure out whose voice it was. But it wasn't like A-list celebrities and comedians who were doing all the voices. And really, they're just reading a script. So it's just that familiarity factor and selling tickets and getting views. Uh, so maybe I just re resent the marketing aspect of it. Although, I will say, I myself, I think in the In a World episode several months ago, I was fanboying over the guy who does the Home Depot commercials and how awesome his voice is. So you can count me hypocritical. But one of the other things that I didn't really like about Wally -E is it's a mixture of a usual animated movie with sort of an art film 
for half of the movie. And I think if they had just picked one, I could have embraced it. If it had just been slow and quiet for the entire movie, I think I probably would have loved it. But it mixes with what some critics describe as like a Simpson-esque or Futurama episode for the latter half of the movie and just gets kind of zany and there's there's all that comic relief uh i think except for the dancing in space with the fire extinguisher scene which i admit despite me hating wally generally as a concept if not also a movie that scene is pretty charming Wally was all alone for lifetimes on Earth as the sole robot who was still picking up trash after the humans left it because they had destroyed the planet. Many of you might be feeling alone out there. You might be feeling like a fish out of water, your own personal embodiment of Wally and everything he stands for as you pick up the waste. <laughs> around you when i joined amazon they do a course i think it was in arizona near university now i almost said university of phoenix <laughs> but it was the university of arizona went there in the middle of the summer and god it was hot but i love running in the heat i think it comes from my seal team days on deployment so i had some good runs out there in the desert of Arizona, which truth be told, I don't think Desert of Arizona is an official name, but the whole state is basically a desert. So I'll stand by that. They do this course out there for those joining operations or the technology group within operations, which is what I was joining. And they introduce you to the company. They train you on some basics of operations and you actually get to pack and ship packages to real Amazon customers in your first week there, which is pretty cool. You get to go pick items from the shelves for that person's order and get them off and, uh, and sent, which again is very cool. So in this week, they talk a lot about hitting the wall and there were some Amazon rebound people there. So they had been at Amazon left and come back. So those people, of course, were those who had all the answers to the tough questions that the new Amazonians had about what life would be like. This hitting the wall was a common phenomenon at Amazon generally, and especially within the operations org. When you hit that wall, which is inevitable, you are told to power through that because it will get better. <laughs> I guess they just don't want people to quit. So they must have had a nutrition problem and needed to preach to people ahead of time that they would inevitably hit the wall. And there's some good growth mindset, challenge yourself stuff embedded in that. So after you beat that challenge and go and do well again, then it's time to get another challenge and grow as a human. So I think we can all get behind that. But there are times where just trying harder or doing more or just sticking at it does not work. 
I am one by personality who tends to step on the gas when the going gets tough. Whether it's swimming, year-round we did competitive swimming when I was a kid. Not surprisingly, that helped with my comfort in the water when I went through SEAL training and became a SEAL. But I didn't focus a lot on technique as a swimmer. Granted, maybe my coaches weren't, you know, the caliber of Michael Phelps coach, but I thought I knew enough technique. And at that point, it was just all about grit and just trying harder and just training harder. When in reality, if I look back, I probably should have focused a lot more on technique. Grit got me a long way, though, in all of those sports, in academics, through the Naval Academy, through SEAL training. I mean, there's nothing like some grit and perseverance to get you through a long run in soft sand with a heavy rucksack and boots on. That's pretty much all you need in that situation. And not to scoff at it, because that kind of grit is a rare commodity in reality most people do not have that grit just like we've said before most people are cowards most people do not have that kind of perseverance and that's why barely anyone makes it through seal training there are lots of circumstances where that grit does work i think it's important though and i'm talking to myself just as much as i'm talking with you it's important for us to think about those times where just sucking it up, just trying harder, just doing more does not work. And in reality, it may be counterproductive. There's a certain art to doing less. And that doesn't come naturally to a lot of us because we take pride in our work. We take pride in our jobs. We believe it's important to take care of our customers, our teams. And do the right thing. And when you're doing less, it doesn't feel like you're doing your job. It doesn't feel like you're doing the right thing. But when are those times where doing less is doing more? The punchline here is, I don't exactly know. Sometimes wisdom is in asking the right questions. So I'm going to comfort myself with not having the answers here, but I'll, I'll try a few things. So number one is when you don't have the right people around you. Some people are toxic. Some people are not your tribe. Some people have it in for you, or are never going to champion the causes that you believe in. We've talked on The Warrior Poet several times about having a mission-centric view and approach to the world and your work. Most of you have some sort of higher purpose to what you're doing, even if you haven't crystallized that why statement. I talked before that I haven't fully crystallized that why statement, but you better be damn sure I know that I am serving some higher purpose in the world with my work, or I tend to be extremely frustrated. 
But if you're not around people who have that same purpose and that same drive, then you trying harder is going to be counterproductive. Secondly, there are times where you don't have the control you need to get the result you're seeking. So take a step back and figure out what you do need and whether with the resources that you can acquire, whether you can really achieve the end that you're going for. And it's not to say that you shouldn't try anyway sometimes, even if it's unlikely, but at least be sober about whether you really have the control you need. And that's particularly tough in middle management because most of those working for big companies, almost all of those working for big companies do not get to marshal the resources and set up their organization in that sort of ideal state that Derek Sivers talks about in terms of setting up your own little utopia. You don't get that at all for better and worse. And then finally, there may be times where market forces or other humans maybe on your team who are training, ramping up, or customers in a negotiation, taking some time to get up to speed or see if they want to bargain with you. Those are examples of times where it's very easy to do too much. And if you rush that negotiation, if you rush that process, if you get too ahead of the market too soon, then you could force an end that is negative, even though that positive outcome was well within reach. In the teams, we like to use the phrase tactical patience. And that really sums up a lot of what we're talking about here is waiting for the battlefield to develop and then finding that right moment and method to attack, unify your forces, and drive a wedge into that problem that you're trying to solve. And I would say that a lot of times that may be easier mentally and psychologically on a battlefield than it is when you're dealing in the corporate sphere. So if you find yourself in that situation, do not put your head down and try and run through that brick wall because things will just end badly. This is not a situation that I faced during dive phase, pool week, as it's called, with twin 80 scuba tanks on my back, just like everybody else, fighting for my life, trying to tread water with my arms out of the water. And that was... <laughs> That was maybe one of the hardest things that I personally did. Everyone has their own hardest thing, but that may have been the hardest one for me. And just gutting it out is what I had to do. Time wasn't going to do the work for me. I had to do the work against the clock or I would drown. Just like all the other guys in the water too. It doesn't solve itself. But sometimes in the real world, things do solve themselves. Or at least you could exercise a little more of your own tactical patience.
All right, strap on that dive gear. Put on those scuba tanks. Get in the water. Put those hands up. It's time we get all the way wet. Just one small footnote today. Today's episode would not be complete if we didn't talk about the 90s band, the Wallflowers. They're kind of consummate 90s. Not that their style is 100% 90s. They essentially were a kind of, at least in the Spotify description, as I refreshed my memory on all the ins and outs of the Wallflowers, they were kind of a Roots Rock revival. Interestingly, although Jacob Dylan has a voice that sounds tons like his dad, Bob Dylan, like more than you would think, because Bob Dylan had that kind of rasp in his voice. And that's kind of a thing that doesn't seem always completely genetic, right? People can get that just by drinking too much whiskey and smoking a lot and just <laughs> busting their vocal cords. Or it could also be affected. You could just make that sound on purpose. So I'm very curious if I ever meet Jacob Dylan to hear him actually talk, or I suppose I don't actually have to meet him. I could just turn on a YouTube interview or something. But Jacob Dylan's voice sounds so much like his dad, but the music itself has a quality closer. I'm kind of stealing from the Spotify article here, but I do agree. Closer to Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, but just with kind of a, a different vibe even though the kind of instrumentation and structure of the songs can be very similar to, to that genre of, of Tom Petty. The song by the Wallflowers that gets the most recognition is One Headlight. I've always kind of disliked that song, um, at least compared to some of their others. <laughs> the thing I think about with one headlight is this story a guy told a bunch of us freshman year of high school about how his dad was driving on the highway and saw two headlights and he was on a motorcycle himself and it was two motorcycles. And so he drove between them, but it turned out to be a car. And so he ended up in the hospital. Obviously, <laughs> that's a joke. If you tell it a little better than I just did right there. It can get a few laughs. That is what I think about when, when I think of the song One Headlight, that it's just one big joke. And the, the affectation of Jacob Dylan's voice, I'm going to go ahead and say he kind of exaggerates the, uh, the singing voice to be a little more like his dad than it needs to be, even though I have a lot of respect for Bob Dylan and, and do like a lot of his music. Some of the Wallflower songs do come off as uh, like a Saturday Night Live band skit doing a riff off of the Wallflowers. The song that I actually like a lot more, and they do have a lot of hits, even though the Wallflowers might be just known for one headlight to a lot of people. They actually had a ton of hits off of at least a couple records. And some of those songs were legitimately not bad uh maybe verging on pretty good my favorite of theirs is actually sixth avenue heartache heartbreak heartache anyway there's a 
good cover of it by what I believe is a German band. I will link to them in the show notes. Please go to them on YouTube. They don't have that many likes on this video that I think they do a pretty damn good job. So please show them some love and uh, dust off those Wallflower CDs while you're at it and, uh, and give a listen if you're looking for a little throwback. That's it for this week. Have a good one. We'll see you on the next episode of The Warrior Poet. property of Rainiac Productions. If you like The Warrior Poet, there's more great content on Instagram. Follow Shri, The Warrior Poet, on Instagram. That's S-R-I, The Warrior Poet. You can also get to know me on a personal level by following Shri, actually, on Instagram as well. The Warrior Poet is produced by Laddie, with special contributions by Spoonman and me, Shri. No, 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 no. Kevin, me na do it. Speed up.